0: Good evening everyone, I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. A Florida teacher showed her fifth grade class an animated Disney movie and is now in trouble. Apparently the movie has a gay character in it, which is not allowed in Florida. That teacher will be here in a moment to say if she thinks she made a mistake. And it's not just homosexuality that's forbidden at school. Just today, Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law that limits how diversity, equity and inclusion programs can be taught at the college level. He says the DEI experiment is over. Our panel will debate that. Plus, Daniel Penny, who's charged with manslaughter in the subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely, has now raised more than $2 million through crowd fundraising. Why this case is the new battle in the culture war. And Taylor Swift tells off her security guard how the superstar stood up for Swifties. You know you're good when you can sing and tell off your security guard simultaneously. But let's start with the legal defense fund for the man charged in the New York City subway chokehold death. He's already raised more than $2 million. Daniel Penny was charged with, on Friday, with second degree manslaughter in the death of Jordan Neely. And as you can imagine, some high profile politicians are turning this tragic story into culture war fodder. I'm here with my panel. Let's bring in former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. We also have former Republican Senate candidate Joe Pinion, former Democratic Congressman Mondaire Jones, and Carrie Champion, who is the current host of the Carrie Champion Show. Great to have all of you here. So um, Daniel Penny has raised two million dollars, and I went onto the the fundraising site, Andrew. And I mean, these are small dollar donations. Some people are contributing ten dollars. Some people fifty dollars. But it's people who believe that he did the right thing. It's hard to know if he did the right thing. All we've seen is that clip of the tape, somebody's cell phone tape. We don't know what happened prior to that. I'll tell you what he says. I mean, what his lawyer says is Daniel Penny is a 24-year-old college student and decorated Marine veteran facing a criminal investigation stemming from him protecting individuals on a New York City subway train from an assailant who later died. We don't know if Jordan Neely was an assailant. We just don't know enough at this point. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, he's going to stand trial and the facts will come out where a country that believes in finding the facts and, and saying someone should be innocent until they're uh, found guilty in a court of law by a jury. who's going to examine this. And it's an unfortunate reality that our country is now so polarized that a lot of people just made up their minds uh, on one side or another saying he's clearly guilty or he's clearly innocent. Uh, I'm personally reserving judgment until we find out what actually happened.
0: It didn't take long, uh, Congressman, for some politicians to jump in here. Um, I'll read you what uh, Governor DeSantis said. We must defeat the Soros-funded DAs, stop the left's pro-criminal agenda, take back the streets for law-abiding citizens. We stand with good Samaritans like Daniel Perry. Let's show this Marine America's got his back. Hmm. Uh, How does
2: he know? He doesn't. Ron DeSantis is a psychopath, okay? He is using every Pretty opportunity. Well, he is. <laughs> we're gonna, later later in this show, we're going to talk about other efforts that he's been making to investigate teachers for some reason. I don't know
0: that psycho... I mean, psychopath, I think, generally is reserved for people who murder people. I don't know that he's in that category.
2: Look, he is going to war with Disney, which is something that not even his own constituents want. So I, I think there's something very off of Ron DeSantis. On this point, I'm with Andrew. I think we should wait to see what comes out at trial. Uh, what has been reported suggests that the person who was killed on that subway train uh, is someone who was unarmed mm. and who had not threatened any physical harm to anyone And we don't in the know that
0: either, car. by the way. I mean, we don't know if, we don't know what happened before that um, videotape starts. We don't know if he was being threatening. There are some reports that he was hostile, other reports that he was acting the way he has often acted on that train. There
2: are reports that he talked about being hungry and not afraid to go to jail, mm. um, There is no reporting that I've read thus far that suggests that he was threatening to physically harm anyone else. But that is the point of the trial. And I think that we should all reserve judgment until we see what happens. Because in America, you're still supposed to get due process before you're convicted.
3: Go ahead, Karen. Well, we talk about what we don't know. What we do know is that we had a mentally ill man who had a history of mental illness uh, on the train. Uh, Probably uh, a result of a world in which we ignore the people who are mentally ill. And especially in public, we don't pay attention to them. We act as if they're not there. I'm sure that um, what was wrong with Neely had um, a long history before he even came across Danny. So here's what I I suggest. Yes, we should wait to reserve our judgment, but what kind of world do we live in where people just walk around and start putting people in chokeholds because they want to feel like they want to protect people? Are we still doing that? Is that allowed? That's vigilante justice, if you ask me. That's my opinion on it. I wouldn't dare want to see somebody uh, being, and let's say it, killed on the train in public. I wouldn't want to see that. That's even more disturbing. I don't think he's a hero. In fact, I think that I know he probably in his mind thought he was doing the right thing, but 24 years old and here you are taking someone else's life because you think that you're the only person in that moment to protect and serve.
2: He had him in a chokehold for
4: 15 minutes.
3: That there is no way we should be doing that.
4: Look, I I think the reason why there was an arrest, the reason why there's going to be a trial is because I think that it is reasonable, as I said before, that you have a conversation around was the urge to respond. Commensurate with the length of time in which that hold was applied, and should he have known that if he held them in that pose for a certain period of time, that it would have resulted in the young man's death? That is a reasonable conversation. I think also we should pause to say that if we're going to talk about the hyperbolic, deeply divisive nature of our politics, then the way that we castigate those people should not also lean into that type of hyperbolic rhetoric. So I think here are the facts. I think that we're a people who sympathize with the young man who raised his hand to serve this nation, who are giving him the benefit of the doubt where others have not given him the benefit of the doubt because we find ourselves in a perilous case where yes, there are times when we are on subways in public, where people are acting in a manner that can be perceived as threatening. And we ask ourselves the question, should we act or should we do nothing? Have we reached the point in time where all we can do is hold up a cell phone and film it? So, yes, I think that that is, again, the precipice upon which this case will be resting.
0: Here is a new sound from Daniel Penny's attorney who was just on um, CNN. Listen to this.
5: Someone entering the subway system, again, a closed subterranean container, where you know the sort of tools that we might use for de- things like de-escalation and avoidance, if you're standing in Times Square and someone's acting erratically or, or menacing people, where you say, hey, look, I'll just keep my head down or I'll turn the other way and walk away, isn't really an option on the subway platform or do, subway it, car, I should say. Everything we've seen so far, and, and I'm confident that everything that will come out will show that my client took reasonable steps to restrain someone.
0: Um, Andrew, there are other videos that we have not been privy to, but as we understand it from our reporting, that the DA has.
1: Well, uh, again, that's why we need to wait until the facts come out during trial. Uh, to Joe's comments, there have been instances when we've seen a social media video and the ask has been, why haven't people done more? Like someone is getting beaten, someone is being threatened, and then there are people who just bust out their phone and are recording it, and then you think, well, shouldn't they have done something? Uh, and so that there is this decision threshold, and also this was a, a trained uh, combatant uh, soldier, uh, Marine, so the standards that he's held to in some ways are higher. Um, but uh, I, I agree that there would be instances during which if someone intervened, and I'm not saying that's the, the case here necessarily because we're all going to find out at trial. Uh, but there have been instances where if someone intervened, we would say that
4: was appropriate and even laudatory. And yeah, also don't want to gloss over Kerry's point, which is that there's a young man who is dead here. And I think that we get so caught up in taking, you know, a yes. you know, shillelagh to Ron DeSantis or mm-hmm. trying to talk about who is being uh, too provocative in their language You focus on the fact that there are families that are reeling really here. There's a person who is dead who was failed by the city of New York many, many times. And so part of this entire conversation about our politics has to be about the allocation of resources. Yes, you want to help everyone all the time. But when you look at somebody like this young man, clearly there are people living here today who are not getting the type of help and assistance that they are clearly entitled to you and could have prevented a tragedy like this.
0: All right. Thank you all very much for all of those perspectives. Coming up, the Florida teacher who's being investigated for showing her fifth grade class an animated Disney movie turns out with a gay character in it. That teacher is here next to explain. A Florida teacher is now under investigation for showing a Disney movie to her fifth grade class. The animated movie is called Strange World, and it's about a family of explorers, and it also includes a teenage character named Ethan, who is gay.
1: Any sweethearts waiting for you back home, huh?
6: Ah, there it is.
1: <laughs> who is it? Uh, it's no one. Uh-uh. Diazo. His name is Diazo. Diazo, huh? I
5: really like him a lot. I
0: just don't know how to tell him. I want to bring in Jenna Barbie. She's that fifth grade teacher in Hernando County, Florida. Ms. Barbie, thank you for being here. Is that the moment? I mean, does it get worse from there? Does it get more controversial is, or is
7: that the clip? I think that is the worst part of the whole movie. If you're going to talk about worst and sense of homosexuality.
0: <laughs> okay. And so why did you show that movie to your fifth grade class?
7: Well, if you can ask anyone in my fifth grade class, you would know that I am a huge earth activist. I tell them all the time that the earth is alive and you need to breathe with the trees. So every time we go out to recess, there's been so many times where I tell my students, nope, get me five, get me 10 pieces of trash. And they all scatter and they run and they come to me. And it just so happened that after that state exam that morning, when I had them in the afternoon and most of the teachers played a movie, I was like, what am I going to play? And then I remembered this movie where they got to not just connect to the earth, but you got to see the earth as their earth, as this living, breathing, alive thing, and that treating it with love and kindness was what it needed to grow and to blossom and to heal. And my students, that's what we were learning about in science, actually, at the time. It's the earth ecosystems and how plants and animals and life all just connect and grow. And so I was like, this is the perfect movie. This is this will show them everything that I've been telling them all year about breathing with the trees and picking up the trash and why we yeah. don't kill the bugs. And, and, and little why did you know. we see a... Yeah, I
0: mean, and little did you know that you would be investigated as a result. Did you? I mean, everything you've said, I totally understand. I totally get why that movie would appeal to you. But did you know there was a gay character in it?
7: I did, and I will be totally honest, I did. But I was raised in a way that it, that's not a big deal to me. Like it's, and my class, I I have students who have told me way before this that they're part of that community. Like that's not that's not, it's, it's love. I mean, the fact that there's love being spread, the world doesn't have enough of that. So, but, there, but there I mean, did you know that? PDA uh, or- yeah,
0: I hear you, but I mean, there's nothing obscene. Of course, it's a PG movie. All the parents had signed permission slips for the kids to see a PG movie, but you do know yeah. that in Florida, in elementary schools now, and I think maybe even high schools, you're not allowed to introduce the subject of homosexuality. I mean, did you know you were breaking the rule? You
7: know, what's I did not know that. I did not know that was a thing. Actually, they I just found out today that they increased it to my level. And I guess high school on April thirtieth, And now today to the college level, which is just insane to me, because those are adults. (laughs) But Anyway, I I honestly had no idea. I had no idea whatsoever that this was such a big deal. I didn't even know it was a big deal until it was brought to my attention because it's just, these students all have one-to-one devices. They talk about these things all the time. I've shut shut down much worse in class. And so to me, this was just, it was a common theme that people talk about yeah. all the time. My students talk about it all the time. Mm. I honestly don't follow the news like that. Yeah, <laughs> I barely just have time That's for that. That's very
0: funny that you say that because we did do the story when it, it changed. From First, it was pre-K through third grade. And then, as you say, at the end of April, it changed to all the way through high school. But- I take your point that you hadn't followed that part. And I guess that there was no edict sent out from the governor's mansion that you a memo, I should say, that you that you read. Let me just play for you, uh, Miss Barbie, what the parent who objected to this. She also happens to be a school board member. So let me play for you what she says was the problem. It is not a teacher's
7: job to impose their beliefs upon a child. Religious, sexual orientation, gender identity, any of the above. But allowing movies such as this assist teachers in opening a door. And please hear me. They assist teachers in opening a door for conversations that have no place in our classrooms.
0: Okay, your response to that.
7: Yes, so I just think... I feel for her because I. she obviously has never um, volunteered in the school, especially at this level, because our students, that door that she's talking about, that's been open. These students have one-to-one devices. These students are talking about things way beyond this. This door that she's talking about, it's been open. These are common conversations that I have to tell my students, whoa, you're we're getting a little too much here or you need to come down. And I have students who come to me and be like, oh, well, I think I feel that way. And you have to just say as a teacher, OK, that's that's wonderful. And you move on because it, what they're missing is this Disney movie is not opening a door. Disney does not open doors to these conversations. Disney represents the melting pot of the public education system. Disney represents the melting pot that America is supposed to be. And that's what people don't understand. Like we're having all these views where we're putting hate toward these things, but Disney represents the pure melting pot, the what, the the land of the free because of the brave. But and now it's becoming you're free, but not if you're going to talk about that, yeah. and you're free to read, and not if it's going to be that. So and so,
0: so Disney represents this. Yeah, I hear you. But but uh, we have only a few seconds left. What's your plan? Yeah. I mean, you're a first year. Teacher, are you going to continue being able to teach? Do you want to?
7: Not in the public education system. I'm going to go work on a curriculum to create my own education system because Florida needs a change. And I want to be that change. And I can't from inside these walls.
0: Well, uh, Jenna, Barbie, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you telling us about your story. Absolutely. Obviously, we'll be watching the investigation Absolutely. and whatever happens next. Thank you so much. I want to bring in my panel. Thank you. I so want to bring in my panel now. Okay, Congressman. Um, you're well, do you want to comment on that, or do you want to talk about what Governor did, did, did today?
3: Fifth grade. Fifth grade. I thought it
2: was fourth. Grade. Uh, look, I, I'm just, I'm just heartbroken. I, I mean, she's talking about how she's got at least some members or or students who think that they may be members of the LGBTQ community, and now what they're seeing from their governor and from the the state is the complete erasure of just an acknowledgment of the existence of people who are members of the LGBTQ community, that sends a really dangerous message to, to young people who are still figuring things out, got a ways to go, if they're in her class, for example, uh, but who may be deeply insecure about what they're feeling and may even take to hurting themselves if, if, you know, if they're not affirmed in a, in a way that, that makes them feel like they can be who ultimately they want to be.
0: Carrie, there was something else that happened in Florida today. This was in Florida and something else that happened. Um, Governor DeSantis signed a bill into law, as she referenced it, um, also limiting the teaching of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the college level. So at all state colleges and universities, that curriculum now has to be limited as well.
3: Allison, I'm sitting here and as we listen to this teacher, I'm... I'm trying to compose myself because I can feel me getting more involved uh, and more, lack of a better term, just angry. Since the beginning of time, erasure is what we've done in the public education system. History has always been exactly that, his story. I'm speaking um, as a black woman who knows that our history as African-Americans has been erased throughout our contributions for this society. And for whatever reasons, we still sit and allow it and we're distracted and we think it's okay. I tell this story. A dear friend of mine, I'm babysitting her daughter. And by babysitting, I mean I'm taking her out. She's 16 years old, um, and she wants to go shopping for the day. I'm her aunt, in theory. And we go shopping, and I turn to her, and I say, so you got a crush on any boys? You're 16 now. You got to be dating, right? You got to be dating. And she looked at me, and she put her head down, and she said, I like a girl, if that's okay. The shame that she had, because she liked a girl, was so sad to me. It broke my heart because she felt like she couldn't tell me. And the fact that we live in a society where we're having this conversation right now breaks my heart. You talked about it. We're not allowing our children to be who they are. Do you not think they know the difference between gay and homosexuality on these phones? I mean, that was her point, that, that they are she allowed talk, to they, use the They're phones. Allow, and then so now at the college level, we're saying that you can't talk about what is right with diversity and inclusion. It is so disheartening to me. We're erasing the fact that people who are marginalized contributed to the society and we think it's okay. And I think about my niece because she's afraid to tell people what she wants to be. Why do we live in that world? Your thoughts, guys?
1: Uh, I'm someone who doesn't think government should be dictating what these colleges are and are not uh, teaching, certainly for political points. Uh, and I think we all know the context here, which is Ron DeSantis is running for president, and he thinks that if he um, takes these stances in terms of Florida's uh, public colleges and other schools that he's going to be a more formidable opponent against Donald Trump. He thinks that this is what the base wants. And what the the base now seems to desire is this polarized ideological loss versus them. Uh, and it's it is truly unfortunate for all of the kids and the college students and the educators who are getting caught in what we can clearly see is just uh, political ploy. On
0: the flip side, what, the, what he's saying is that DEI has been an experiment, which I think it is, I mean, Mm -hmm. in terms of the teaching of it. And he's saying that in Florida, that experiment is over. I believe we might have some sound from the governor. Do we have that? Go ahead.
2: If You look at the way this has actually been implemented across the country. Uh, DEI is is better um, viewed as standing for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public institutions. And so this bill says uh, the whole experiment with DEI uh, is coming to an end in the state of Florida.
0: It's interesting, Joe. I mean, he's spelling it out. So now if you are a college student applying to schools, which all college students across the potential college students across the country have just done, you kind of self-select if you want to be in Florida. I mean, if that's the rule, do you think that this is le- could lead to students sort of self-selecting into their own echo chamber and not having as much cross-pollinization? Or do you like his idea?
4: I, I, but I think that's already happening. I think the sad reality here is that you have legitimate concerns by some parents when we were talking about pre-K through third grade. And now they have been conflated with what I call is a... A mission that is more political than it is functional Mm -hmm. and also human. And so you end up with sloppy legislation that becomes impossible for teachers, for people in schools to actually manage to the point where even a Disney movie that is rated PG can lead to a teacher potentially saying, I no longer want to be in this profession. And so if we know we need more teachers, better teachers, more support for those teachers, then yes, I think it is perfectly okay To talk about the concerns that some parents have, as we've seen in the state of Washington trying to say that we shouldn't transition children without telling the parent. Um, As we saw that article in the New York Times talking about that juxtaposition between some people who feel as if that might be beneficial for the child versus some who think the school should not be a place to keep secrets. But I think overall, in the end, what has happened here, I think, is a lost opportunity for Ron DeSantis to say, hey, guess what? We want to have universities that deal with the fact that we have a 12 percent decline in African-American enrollment over the last two years. And here is how we're going to reallocate these resources to address that. We want to deal with the fact that we have black students who are 76 percent not proficient in reading in certain quarters of the state. And here is our plan to reallocate resources to do that. So, again, I think for me, if it's going to be the Florida education plan that becomes the American education plan, I think in many ways, unfortunately, this has been more about the caucuses in Iowa. Than it has been about the people that call the state of Florida home.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'll just quickly say that on, on the subject of conflation, it is so dishonest to suggest that this teacher is trying to impose yeah. a certain agenda on these students. I mean, this is a this is a Disney movie that simply reflects the world as it is. Right. There, there, there's 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 no you have to be this way because there happens to be an lgbtq character in the film and it's just it's so dishonest and I, and i and I, I sometimes feel like people are strategically using these opportunities at the local level to 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 further their own political success
0: really
8: <laughs> you know gambling in this is you don't right? um, you don't thank say. you,
0: friends.
3: it's grade, grade are at kindergarten. Yeah, yeah. right. right. <laughs> I'm think they're aware. You all. Um,
0: thank you all for sharing your personal um, stories about that and anecdotes as well. I really appreciate that. All right. Three quarters of Americans are lonely. Can AI help? Or is AI a dangerous genie just waiting to get out of her bottle? That's next. Our country is facing a loneliness epidemic. Here is the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, on that.
2: This is one of the the stunning things about loneliness and isolation, is that the impacts on our physical health are profound. So social disconnection associated with the increased risk of heart disease, stroke, dementia, and an increased risk of premature death that's on par with the risk that we see with smoking daily.
0: On par with smoking daily in terms of your health. Of course, the loneliness is on the decline, we're happy to report, since its pandemic highs. However, 17% of Americans report feeling loneliness for, quote, a lot of the day yesterday. That's an estimated 44 million Americans. So what can we do about it? Well, AI has some suggestions, but will it help or hurt? We told Google (laughs) recently, we told their AI chat bot, Bard, that we were feeling really lonely today. And we asked, what can you do to help me? And here's what Bard said to us. It says, it's telling me to reach out to friends and family, get involved in my community, take care of myself, and finally to seek professional help. Okay, so that all sounds great, right? Andrew, let's get to the panel. Andrew, that sounds great. What I don't like is when the chatbot starts telling me it's in love with me, (laughs) which some chatbots do. Sure. And for loneliness... We've I
1: seen think, that movie, Allison.
0: Yes, we've seen the movie, but it also happened in real life. You know, the New York Times columnist who, like, you know, started talking to the chatbot and it told him to leave his wife.
1: Yes. Uh, so. Is
2: that, <laughs> is that a problem, Andrew? <laughs> <laughs> that a problem, Andrew? Uh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah.
1: So, uh, AI is going to do a lot of uh, great things, a lot of not so great things. Uh, I will say that the early data has shown that AI therapists and chatbots have actually made a huge difference for a lot of early adopters, including in particular military veterans. Mm-hmm. It turns out that military veterans are as or more comfortable talking to a therapist they know is not real yeah. as opposed to a human therapist. That's so it's fascinating. Going, yeah, it's going to be a real uh, great fit for some people, not everyone.
0: That's okay. That's fascinating. I'm I'm happy that's giving that's heartening to hear because some people May it's like reading a self help book. I mean, but it's more interactive.
1: It's genuinely gonna help a lot of people. Okay.
0: Carrie,
3: what I where I get humans suck. Do humans (laughs) suck or do do robots suck? Which one is it? I think humans suck. I think in general, like how many times have we sat here and said I just don't feel like being bothered? Like we I (laughs) the older I get the more I realize I'd like to be at home <laughs> by myself. Okay. Not like and is, I'd Carrie. like to... Well, then a chatbot... thought I was
2: bad for calling Rhonda Sanders a psycho <laughs> I, I think I, I humans do, suck. You know, okay. no. no, they do. You know, they do. She's
3: including herself.
0: I'm including myself. But, 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 but does that mean, Carrie, if humans suck, does that mean <laughs> that you want to
3: have a chatbot AI companion? You'd be comfortable with that? I mean, not... I look, here's the thing. I, I do agree that we all need some sort of therapy or someone to talk to that is a human that can give you real-life situations real-life experiences, real-life feedback. I don't believe that this should be the end-all be-all. But at the end of the day, I get why some people, and you mentioned veterans, get lonely, and I want to talk to something that makes me feel seen, that makes me feel heard. Humans suck because they bring their own trash, they bring up their own trauma, they bring all their drama to you, and I just want to have a conversation. So I can see that there's benefits, but I can also see the downfall. I don't, I'm not at home. You know, uh, talking to Bart. Yet. But, yet. Is but what I can say. But I could be. Uh, okay. Later in life. Well, this is, this is what, <laughs> okay,
0: hold on, hold that thought for a minute, because here's what we're, here's where I think it gets dicey, okay? So there's a Microsoft powered chatbot in China. It currently has 660 million users. Worldwide, the bot was apparently trained to learn emotional skills hmm. before intelligence skills with the intention that users can see the chatbot as their friend. It's working. Here's what Microsoft says. Quote, while they know she's not real, many prize her as a dear friend, even a trusted confidant. Sometimes the line between fact and fantasy blurs. Here's where I get nervous. Okay. She Fair. gets love letters and Fair. gifts. Fair. And not too long ago, a group of fans asked her out to dinner and even ordered an extra meal just in case she showed up. I can't tell, Congressman, if this is nice for lonely people or a dystopian nightmare. um,
3: High-level catfishing. Definitely
0: like (laughs) getting
2: Black Mirror episodes. Um, Look, I have a a family member who's very dear to me uh, who suffers from depression. And, you know, when you you have people in your life who suffer from depression, sometimes you can't be with them 24-7. And so I know that she... Would probably enjoy talking to some, an entity that could like be, communicate with her and, and keep her company, and I think, I think there's nothing wrong with that.
4: Joe, yeah. look, as my favorite comedian said, uh, the money is not in the cure; the money is the medicine. That's Chris Rock for those keeping track at home. And I think, yes, uh, to your point anything that can keep anyone uh, from taking their life, from feeling a little bit less lonely is important. But I do think that we have to have a broader macro conversation about the fact that it is not the cure to personal interaction. The thing that COVID helped exacerbate, people getting out and doing things, we can again have more interaction with this device that we have here uh, in our pocket uh, than people before in the world could have uh, just walking around for their entire week. So that is, I think, the crux of this problem. How do we make sure that we get back to that human-human interaction? Because there's no synthetic uh, drug or AI experience that's going to cure that.
0: Well, we're out of time, but that is what I think we all fear. It will take over and eclipse, but let's not let that happen. Thank you all very much for that. Be sure to tune in at the top of the hour when some of our favorite reporters will be here to talk about the scoops that they're covering, including the Durham report. About the FBI's Russia probe finally coming out after four years of investigation. We'll tell you what they found. But first, a basketball star suspended for the second time. We'll tell you what John Morant did to get kicked off of the court. Next. Memphis Grizzlies star John Morant suspended from team activities after a second incident involving a gun in two months. Instagram live video from over the weekend appears to show Morant in a car brandishing a firearm while listening to music. Morant was suspended by the league for eight games back in March after he was seen flashing a gun in a Denver area nightclub. CNN has reached out to a representative for Morant, to the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA for comment we've not yet heard
3: back. I'm back with the panel. Um, OK, so, Carrie, what are we to make of this? Well, first of all, I'm really curious because guns are we love guns in this country, right? Like they're we, legal. I mean, he's, they're legal. legal, right? We can do them. We, we do. That's just the way in which we, we live this like Open carry. Sense. So I wonder, I asked you this question. I have my thoughts, but I'll ask you all as a panel. If he was a gun enthusiast and he was showing the guns as someone who was really um, well-informed on perhaps a pistol or a rifle from the 1800s or the 1920s, um, the way in which he shows us his guns on Instagram, would that be more acceptable? I'm, I'm curious. Do you think that'd be Look, more acceptable?
2: Uh, we, we, we got Republican politicians posing in front of Christmas trees with their families, brand Assault weapons. So, your point is well taken. I I Still think dude should not be. He's like... absolutely
3: wrong. He's absolutely wrong. I <laughs> yeah. was just right, say in the same way him. that those what's
2: politicians that? should be chided for
3: what they're doing. <laughs> I feel like John Morant has been given an opportunity to change his circumstances. First of all, he doesn't come from a, a rough uh, upbringing. He comes from a middle class family. Um, he had both the parents in the household. All the stats that you want to add to why he's doing this don't seem to fit the actual person. I think as of late he found himself in circumstances where he wanted to be something that he wasn't. It's really. Um, unfortunate fortunate but there have been so many incidents leading up to the very first the very first incident of him flashing his gun it was um allegedly uh trying to fight a 17-year-old and bringing, and showing the 17-year-old a gun. Then it was going to the mall with a group of guys threatening. And then we hear all these unfortunately these stories about how he's behaving um, as if he is some sort of gangster. So I'm, I'm fed up with Ja, I will be honest with you. I am done with Ja in terms of supporting him and listening to what I think he has to say. He no longer has uh, an empathetic audience with me because you make entirely too much money. You're a star, a superstar in this league. You have an opportunity that people wish they could have. You have a talent that God has given you and set you apart for. And yet and still, for some reason, you want to go on Instagram live with a gun. Like that's the last thing that you should be doing. And then you tell us in an interview, uh, I am sorry. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I have been in therapy for about 48 hours. I know what I did wrong and I'm back on the court and I'm going to be a better person. Now we can't trust you. You're more associated with guns than what you do on the court. How can we deal with that? Did he do something wrong, Joe, in your eyes?
4: The NBA is a multi-billion dollar entity. Uh, John Morant currently is one of less than two dozen people to ever have their own signature shoe from Nike. He is this close from being a handful of people that are symbolic with the league itself. And to Kerry's point, he is someone who, with a potential $231 million deal, $190 million guaranteed just on this deal, not including what he could get from the next deal. I promise you, if, God forbid, he were injured and he were never able to play another game, it would be less painful for the people that love him Mm -hmm. than watching the nonsense that he's doing right now. And if you think of all the people that would give their right arm and their right leg to have half the opportunities that he has had, all those young black men, yes, those young people that look up to him, that are looking to him for an example, and to have him engaging in the behavior that we beg our children not to engage in, when he has all the personal advantages and all the financial advantages, it is heartbreaking. And yet at the same time, all I see is a young man crying out for help. And it has to be time to say, I don't care if the basketball's in the closet for a week, a year, two years. You have to do something to change your life. You have to choose to take advantage of all the gifts and all the opportunities that God has put before you. But
0: then how come we do tolerate it from... As mm-hmm. um, the congressman was saying, from all sorts of politicians on Christmas cards and I, men we do. In their we do. advertisements,
4: I, I, I just and think for, that we, we we We're do white. we do ja a disservice. I think we do this conversation a disservice. There is a fundamental difference from somebody standing for a posed picture for a Christmas card in their own home and a man who is brandishing a weapon in a car who has been seen. Potentially, uh, allegedly, brandishing a weapon in malls, picking fights with people in public. Every time there is an alleged altercation, whether it comes first or not, apparently a gun is involved. This behavior is a real problem. And I think making that comparison is is problematic. These political figures don't work for the NBA. I mean, the
1: NBA is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. When he was... Suspended. It said, for conduct detrimental to the league. This is bad for the league. And the NBA is going to come down very hard as a result because he got in front of the cameras, and I'm sure the commissioner, and said, look, I'm a changed man. This will not happen again. And then it happens again weeks later.
2: Okay. I, I agree that there are different incentive structures. But... You know, if there were no repercussions from the NBA, I think we'd still be judging the behavior from John 100%. Moran. And I and, yeah. I and I do worry about the dis- the disparate treatment between I, him doing I that. Know, I agree. You know, this is a country where half, you know, many politicians on one side of the political spectrum are like, well, open carry, no licensing, sure. no background sure. check. What all did this he do that. wrong? So, in theory, if he wanted to brandish a gun from the privacy of the passenger seat to a car, then like, why is that I mean, per
3: it's, se? Yeah, and it's, exactly.
4: it's pretty it's the simple context, also. What is
3: yeah, the right. context? Like, they're but, uh, they're not in season. He's not playing. And by the way. I'm, I'm just playing devil, devil's advocate here. They're okay. not in season. He's not playing. He's with And I have friends. to go in 10 seconds.
0: We're so right. what I think this.
4: the difference is the legacy of the incidences leading up to this incident. When you just had an opportunity where he damn near jeopardized this entire season for him, his family, his entire existence is on the line. You can't do this. You just can't.
0: All right. Thank you all very much. Next, Taylor <laughs> Swift telling security who's boss at her concert. And she sings her way through the entire thing
7: like bad blood. So take a look
0: you Well just look what you made Taylor Swift do Was Swift telling a security guard at her concert, "You need to calm down," right in the middle of a song? The fan taking to TikTok to say that she and her friends were just dancing, having a great time in the front row when the guard told them to stop. Back with me, Carrie Champion and Andrew Yang. So, what I love is that you can't tell if it's the song or not because <laughs> I, I,
3: she's such a professional. She's dancing and singing through it. Uh huh. Yeah. Stop bad blood hey I said, so, hey bad I'm like okay wait is that the song I well first of all I love Taylor Swift and I have to admit that I am late on the Swifty train right I have so many people in my world who uh, have decided to wait online virtually to get the era's tourist ticket yes um, and I talk about this arguably every other day uh, on my show because I find it so interesting what an impact she has she's a powerful woman she when I say Dollywood awesome. Taylor Wood is coming and you might as well tell everyone Andrew you yes. might as well what What? Swift
1: is an American treasure. I am (laughs) going to the show next weekend in Boston. I'm bringing my goddaughter. I'm gonna go from zero to hero. So Taylor, (laughs) we will be there. And if we dance, we're gonna count on you to tell the security people to let us keep going. Taylor Swift.
0: Hey, I don't think I can build on that. Thank you. Hey, thank you both very much. Great to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Enjoy the concert. All right. Yes. It's gonna be
1: great. I'll have my review. All
0: right. Coming up, some of our top reporters here to talk about the stories that they're working on for tomorrow, including the Durham Report, released after four years. What's in it? They're going to share their scoops with us next. You are Swifty through and through. Remember all that. Okay, fantastic. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this hour where we bring you tomorrow's news tonight. We have our great lineup of reporters here with me. We have Vanessa Yurkiewicz, Danny Freeman, Omar Jimenez, and Jessica Dean. Also joining us, uh, specially parachuting in for this, is Evan Perez. Evan, thanks so much for being here. Okay, Special Counsel John Durham released his final report tonight, more than 300 pages, concluding that the FBI should never have launched a full investigation into connections between Donald Trump's campaign and Russia during the 2016 election. But no recommendations for any new charges, or wholesale changes in how the FBI handles politically charged investigations. So Jessica's here with that story, but also, as we said, Evan Perez is joining us from Washington. Okay, Evan, just walk us through the bottom line of this report.
9: Well, the bottom line after four years, Allison, uh, this is all we got from John Durham. There's a lot less here than certainly Donald Trump was promising us uh, for, for, for many uh, months. Remember he was out there saying Durham is coming uh, and he was expecting people to go to prison. And as you pointed out, Durham does not make any any new uh, prosecu- prosecutions at the end of this report. Um, but you know, he did find a lot of mistakes by the FBI in the way they conducted this investigation back in 2016. Uh, And he believes that a lot of it has to do with uh, uh, confirmation bias, not political bias. Again, a finding that I think the former president would probably not be very happy with. I'll read you just a part of what the report says. Uh, It says um, that based on the review uh, of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the Justice Department and FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report uh, it goes on he goes on to say uh, that you know the FBI discounted or willfully ignored material information that did not support the narrative of a collusive relationship between uh, Trump and Russia. a lot of criticism again for for the FBI but i 'll just you know through some some numbers here at you six million pages is what he said he went through uh, there were four hundred and eighty interviews one hundred and ninety Uh, grand jury subpoenas. He spent a lot of time on this investigation and there's not much to show for it.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds incredibly thorough. Um, Evan, there was also this 2019 report from the DOJ inspector general that had other findings. It found that the FBI investigation was justified and unbiased. So how does that report square with uh, the new one?
9: Yeah, look, there's, uh, that's, that's, there, there's a lot of differences uh, between the two reports, but, you know, we'll, we'll highlight just one of them here. Uh, one of them has to do with uh, Lisa Page, who is a, a former FBI lawyer, and, and Peter Strzok, who is uh, leading uh, counterintelligence uh, activities there at the, at the FBI in the durham report uh, he says that peter struck and lisa page were directly involved in matters relating to opening crossfire hurricane Um, and then of course uh, if you compare that to what the horowitz report says uh, he says that lisa page attended some of the discussions regarding opening of this investigation she not play she did not play a role in the decision to open crossfire hurricane or the four individual investigations Um, These two became certainly a fixation for the former president, uh, for Republicans, because they were having an affair. And a lot of their text messages came out in the middle of of the Mueller investigation and and was used really to discredit the work that was being done to investigate these uh, these very very, uh, suspicious ties between people associated with Trump And of course, the Russians, and so uh, that's one reason why you know highlighting that difference of opinion there. These two investigative teams, Allison, looked at all of the same things, and they came away with completely different uh, conclusions.
0: Really interesting, Evan Press. Thank you very much. Okay, so Jessica, um, you know, obviously. Former President Trump
8: has a vested interest in all of this. Has he talked about the findings from today? Well, this is not going to surprise anyone that, yes, he has had some comments on this. And and in a way that we would expect him to is that he's going to shade this as a big victory. We just heard Evan lay out uh, what was there, these two contrasting reports. But Trump and, and and look at the end of this investigation, Trump was saying people are going to go to prison. He was really hanging a lot on this, right? And talking about it a lot. And now we have uh, the end of this investigation, and it really, it there wasn't any. You know, no one really. There were not wholesale uh, large groups Three going people to prison, were charged, right? Right. Three people were charged. Right. Two of them were acquitted by juries. Correct. That's exactly right. So one person. I don't think that person did jail. They did not. Jail. That's right. That's exactly right. And so here's what he said, just so everybody out there knows what the uh, former president is saying. He did post on Truth Social and he really tries to frame this. I think we can put it up for everybody. Uh, There it is right there. Wow. After extensive research, special counsel, John Durham concludes the FBI never should have launched the Trump-Russia probe. In other words, the American public was scammed, just as it's being scammed right now by those who don't want to see greatness for America. So that is what the former president is saying I would expect We hear more about this on the campaign trail.
0: I mean, he didn't actually conclude that they should never have launched it. It, They shouldn't have done a full investigation. There's
8: different gradations of investigations. Well, there's nuance to it, right? And that can be complicated.
5: (laughs) Nuance can be hard for people. The the one thing that that strikes me with this, though, is whenever you do these types of investigations, I think all of us reading are are waiting for this big, whether it's a recommendation of charges, whether it's a recommendation of, sure, maybe you shouldn't have launched a full-scale investigation, but here's what you should have done differently it it doesn't seem like there's any full scale changing of the FBI that's recommended or obviously no in, indictments recommended so what does this report actually do as like, outside of you know just a slap on the on the wrist i think
8: that's such a great point yeah. and it really comes down to congress and his allies in the house that really want to push this right and use it you know we've heard since they took Since they took over the House in January, you know, they have this special investigation going on about the alleged politicization of the FBI, DOJ, that Jim Jordan's been leading. And that is something that they have gone back and back to, back to over and over again, really trying to make this point and trying to make this case. And, of course, this was really kind of um, a present of sorts for the for Jim Jordan and his committee, they now uh, Jordan has now requested that Durham come and testify on the Hill next Thursday. So they're happy with it. They're they're thrilled. pleased. With they're this. so and happy after four years. They're pleased with this outcome. Yes, and they want to use this right as as a way to continue to drive forward their message and and to continue to kind of push uh, their agenda that they believe uh, that there has been a weaponization of these law enforcement agencies against. Americans, specifically uh, Republicans. I think um, I want to play this clip for you. My colleague Melanie Zenona actually caught up with Jim Jordan earlier today, and we have that. I think it's important to listen to.
10: I think it almost more than confirms, based on what I read this morning, I've never
9: read it at all, uh, but it more than confirms all the things that we've been saying now, for.
8: And what kind of questions do you want to ask him if he
9: comes to this? I think
6: it's important to come and say it so the country not only gets a chance to read it. They can hear from the guy who, who obviously did a thorough job because he's been at this for a long time.
8: And again, you hear Jim Jordan there saying this confirms everything we've been trying to say. So, again, really politicizing this report and using it to further the agenda of that investigative committee. And so it remains to be seen if Durham will actually come and testify next week. Uh, But Jordan has requested that in addition to coming, that he be prepared to answer questions uh, from various members on that committee and also um, to kind of give a short, concise uh, report on the report Essentially, and, and walk them through all of it. And it's worth noting, too, that we are hearing from other House GOP members that are now calling for consequences for the like FBI. What? Well, is that defunding? I mean, we've heard defund them. You know, I mean, look, these are extreme positions, and I think it's, it, you got to remember that these are people really on the far right. Um, but it, that is, that is. Kind of the talk hmm. right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, what I understood was that Director um, Ray had made changes. There were things mm-hmm. that they uncovered during the course of all of these years that the FBI did wrong, particularly as it came to the FISA warrants and the FISA court. And that um, I think that Director Ray had already testified or said that he had made some changes to the process in terms of a full investigation. But obviously, it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do next.
8: What they're going to do next, and important to remember, it is a divided. Uh, Congress. We have the Senate. The, over on the Senate side, the Democrats do have the majority there. Uh, the House has, you know, Kevin McCarthy, the House Speaker, working with that very small major- uh, majority. So it's not like there's going to be some sweeping new changes that that Congress passes through. It's more what this boils down to is it's talking points.
10: It's You're able to raise money off of this. It's a victory lap for right. President Trump. I think to your point, we're going to hear him out on the campaign trail mm-hmm. talking about this time and time again. And essentially, I think he's going to say, look, they in the simplest terms, look, they found nothing. And then he's going to try to potentially use that to kind of oversimplify other investigations that might be happening. And I think it's going to probably play very well with his supporters. Um, Danny,
0: hold that thought for a second because we're just getting in some new video, I'm told. So we are about to all look at this for the first time. It's described as disturbing. We want to warn you, this is the man who allegedly attacked congressional staffers at Congressman Jerry Connolly's office in Virginia with a baseball bat this morning. He was identified by neighbors as a person captured on their home security camera this morning, wielding a bat, chasing a woman in the neighborhood. This is security video. It was provided to CNN by a homeowner who lives near the suspect, and it shows a woman screaming as she flees from a man with the bat. This was time-stamped as occurring at 10.34 a.m. That's before the attack at the congressional office, and again, it is disturbing. (laughs) Ah! Now, two neighbors said that the man you just saw in the video was allegedly the same person who was arrested following the attack at Congressman Connolly's office in Fairfax, Virginia.
10: Um, Obviously, we'll keep following that. Well, that's terrifying. Oh it's oh ten thirty in the morning, you're out, you know, getting your coffee, your morning paper, and this happens, it's absolutely terrifying.
5: I, I think it also, you know, if, if you know, as the neighbors allege, it is the, the same person, I think it gives you insight to to the mindset that this person was clearly in from before the attack even happened, you know, at at the office itself. And this was clearly something that just based on that video, had been bubbling up from the beginning, the morning. He's already aggressive with people around him in the neighborhood. And so obviously there's an investigation that plays out. And, you know, we move forward with whatever is charged. But I think that gives very good insight into what type of person uh, we were dealing with.
6: Well, I think what's also scary is obviously you can hear the terror in her voice. Mm -hmm. But there's something about, you know, it's not a gun, right? It's someone carrying something. Approaching you, and then there's that moment where this could be a normal interaction—just a person holding a, you know, a bat that you're playing with their kids. But then to come after someone—I mean, that—that that, I can't imagine the fear that was going on in that woman, and of course, allegedly that office's uh, mindset earlier. Yeah, today. that
8: does give us insight into what it must have been like for the staffers as yes. well. Yeah, yeah. And, and can I just say quickly too? You know, I spend most of my days on Capitol Hill after after the January sixth. There is just an, a, a gen, like a, a general hum. Of anxiety that still pulses through that building when it comes to potential violence uh, coming into that building or exactly what we saw today going into offices or attacking somebody. You go through magnetometers every day. You go through them. But even when you're in the building,
0: you feel as though there could be something that happened.
8: Yeah. And I think I think that's the general feeling from a lot of people who work there, staffers, media members and I think there's a real there's a still a sensitivity to it. obviously everyone is doing their work and, and, and trying to you know get through the day. but it, it, there is such a sensitivity to this sort of thing uh, and and to see this happen and to see these two staffers who were attacked with a metal baseball bat, one of them an intern first day on the job, it, it, it's just a very scary thing and it simply underscores, where we are in this country right now, that this sort of thing just happens. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, coming up, Danny's going to preview the big election day in Pennsylvania tomorrow, including a race that's so big, President Biden is weighing in. (laughs) How big is it? Danny's going to tell us. That big. So big. That big. (laughs) So, there's a special election in Pennsylvania tomorrow, and it will determine likely if Democrats maintain control of the state house or if Republicans take the majority. And in Philadelphia, the race is on for who will become the city's next mayor. So, Danny. You are all over this, all over it, and today President Biden even endorsing. Explain this. He was endorsing a state house candidate in Pennsylvania, Heather Boyd. That's right. She's running to fill an empty seat. Why is that house race so important to him?
6: Okay, so so let's back up for a second, right? Republicans have been in control of the state house in Pennsylvania for over a decade now, and with a combination of November's election and a few other special elections that came through after, Democrats took control. It was a huge deal, but after the dust settled, it was a one seat margin. They have control of the state house of representatives by one seat. Then, in March, a, a Democratic state representative resigns because of a harassment scandal, and then a seat is open. And this one seat that is open in Delaware County, suburb of Philadelphia, this could determine control of the state house of representatives. So that's why we're talking about it tonight, and that's why tomorrow, as. Pennsylvanians go to the polls. That is maybe the race that everyone across the state, truly, across the Commonwealth, is watching.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, now tell us about the mayor's race. What's going to happen in Philly?
6: Well, so the mayor's race is a totally different beast. Okay, so Philadelphia mayor's race. So tomorrow is election day across Pennsylvania, but in Philadelphia, it's the Democratic primary right? And why that matters is because Philadelphia Democrats have such a large registration advantage over Republicans. Whoever wins tomorrow in the Democrats is almost assured to win in November the general election in Philadelphia.
8: I was going to say it's election day tomorrow in Philadelphia. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
6: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, but, In a way. But exactly, exactly. Yeah. And there are actually cases of Republicans who feel disenfranchised and they then switch their voter registration to just have a say in who might be their next mayor mm. in the city of Philadelphia. Mm. So that's, the stage set there, and Allison, it is a anyone's race. It is a toss-up. I think we have a poll, actually, right now. Uh, there is a, you can see right there, the top four. Of people running. ton yeah. of people running, yeah. and the top four really are all within that margin of error, that 21, 18, 18, 14, and then the Jeff Brown there, you see that candidate at 10. So any of those people truly at this point can win.
10: Uh, Undecided, 15%. I, I was I, looking at that, too. Exactly,
6: yeah. exactly. A lot of choices. And that's why you're seeing a lot of <laughs> people... In these past, you know, 48, 24 hours, really, they're out. They're knocking on doors. You, It feels like Election Day in Philadelphia tomorrow.
8: I'm curious, too, with that mayor's race, because we had so much focus, remember, on the Chicago mayor's race yeah, and yeah. what that <clears throat> meant. And to a lesser extent, but still some pretty good attention on the Los Angeles mayor's race Mm -hmm. and what that meant. These big American cities post-COVID with the more liberal part of the Democratic Party versus either a Republican or someone who is more of a conservative Democrat. Right. And, you know, we kind of try to extrapolate. We, the political media from time to time, have been guilty of trying to extrapolate <laughs> big, you know, sweeping conclusions from these races. But it doesn't seem like Philly's gotten as much attention as, say, Chica- the Chicago's race did.
6: Yeah, I think there are a couple of different reasons why. I think one of the main reasons is for Chicago, for example, you know, you covered it uh, as well on the ground, Omar, is that... Uh, this is an incumbent leaving. This incumbent is termed out. He's not running anymore, Mayor Jim Kenney. And he had a, a lower profile in the past few years than perhaps Lori Lightfoot right in Chicago. Yeah. So, And also, that's not an incumbent at risk of losing their job as well. Um, however, I do think that whoever becomes mayor of this group, especially if it's one of those five up top right there, I think you will hear their names a lot more after tomorrow because – There's a lot of uh, different directions the city could go based on a lot of these candidates. There's some, you know, intense progressive change folks. There are some folks who are uh, very intent on holding the past administration accountable for some of the actions in policing, some of the actions in uh, crime. And then others who are actually known faces. They've been in City Hall for a long time. They've been in Harrisburg for a while. It's there are a lot of options here,
5: and one thing that I, that I think about, and yeah, <clears throat> we thought about in the Chicago mayor's race and, and beyond, is okay. So they say local politics is national, vice versa, local mm-hmm. story, national story. And you know, as we head towards twenty twenty four, we're going to have a big presidential side on on the Republicans. And are there any messages that that people could? in theory, you know, extrapolate uh, from this to that could make a difference in 2024. Like, for example, in Chicago, it was when you looked at the more moderate Democrat in Paul Vallis versus the more liberal Brandon Johnson. Sure. They looked at how they were going to handle public safety in a city mm-hmm. like Chicago, where public safety was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And some said, all right, well, based on what was decided here, sends a message to other Democrats and other potential Republicans that public safety, uh, maybe a message just on public safety isn't, the way to go. Are, are there any types of messages like that that, that could play a factor and beyond Justice Mayor's race?
6: There definitely are. And I mean, in the most recent polling that that same uh, list was from earlier, there were also a lot of the issues that are the most important to Philadelphians, and yeah. crime, far and away, was the number one issue at something like 41%. So that is definitely on people's minds. And, you know, there have been debates in Philadelphia about potentially bringing back. A kind of stop and frisk that's been ping ponged around these candidates over the course of many forums. So that's one idea that has been out there. Uh, I think that there is the real potential that whoever becomes mayor might want to change things up in the police department as well, um, in terms of that senior leadership, which is something that we're all looking at. But I actually want to say, Omar, the race that I think might even have more national implications to go back for a second is that. State house Mm, representative race. Question: How does that determine the policy of the state? Do you think that's what will have the impact at a national level? I I think you can take. I don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing. I okay. think that that race is definitely taking more leads from the national level because that race yeah. has basically been all about abortion. Yep. Mm. Uh, yeah. And if Republicans take over the State House, there's a concern by Democrats. That's why Biden endorsed in that race. That's why Josh Shapiro cut an ad in that race, uh, primarily. That's what they said. is If Republicans take control of the State House, there's a concern from Democrats that they might push a uh, referendum, mm. basically, to amend the Constitution to limit abortion rights. So that's what all the ads are about in terms of that particular race, and that's why that race has garnered so much attention. The abortion issue, that's not something that is really playing in the Philadelphia Marriage race. And remember, everyone that is in this Democratic primary, mm. a lot of things, they're on the same page, and it's finding the gradation there. Okay. I think we may know more about the national significance post this Election tomorrow. Well,
0: Danny, thank you for explaining the intrigue (laughs) of (laughs) everything that's going on in Pennsylvania. We'll be watching closely tomorrow. All right, meanwhile, giant social media companies hit with a wrongful death lawsuit by the families of three victims, as well as a survivor of last year's Buffalo Supermarket Massacre. So, up next, Omar explains what this suit is all about. One year after 10 people were killed in the mass shooting at a Buffalo grocery store, the families of three of the victims, as well as a survivor, have filed a wrongful death suit against various social media companies, including YouTube and the parent of Facebook. The suit alleges that the shooter was radicalized by racist, anti-Semitic, white supremacist propaganda that he found on social media. Okay, Omar, tell us about this lawsuit.
5: Yeah, so you, you hit the highlights of it, that the lawsuit alleges that this uh, that social media companies helped radicalize the gunmen who shot and killed 10 people at the top supermarket in Buffalo just about this time last year. And partly it goes even further to say that uh, the lawsuit says that he wasn't raised by racist parents, that he had no known documented history of negative interactions with black people, and so they are basically pointing the microscope at social media. And in particular, one part of this uh, lawsuit says that he explicitly has acknowledged that the racist, anti-Semitic, and violence-promoting material he encountered on social media caused his radicalization, motivated him to commit racial violence, and provided the training, equipment, and expertise tease to plan and implement the massacre of may 14th 2022 and part of all of this and really the crux of their argument is that look these this content doesn 't just exist on social media it, it is part of an algorithm in many cases uh, the lawsuit alleges that some of these things were promoted and or reacting to his engagement to show him more of that and again the crux of this lawsuit is that were these social media companies tugging on that dark thread in the back of this person's mind until it became front of mind, and then translated to violence.
0: And what do the social media companies say? About? Well,
5: they're saying that they've taken steps in, in many regards to try and find these types of extremist posts, take them down, make sure they don't go any further. We've heard a variation of that from a lot of different companies, but specifically Snapchat has said we have a zero tolerance policy for hate speech and discrimination of any kind. Google, the owner of YouTube, through the years, YouTube has invested in technology teams and policies to identify and remove extremist content. And Twitch and uh, Meadow, which owns Facebook, took steps pretty quickly to try and take this down because this shooting was uh, live-streamed on Twitch immediately as it was was happening. Uh, But obviously, the challenge that all of these social media companies have, uh, no matter how well-intentioned they are, is the speed with which these things spread on social media. The ease that they're uploaded and the um, sheer amount of content that you're having to try and moderate at any given moment because there are people constantly trying to upload things that fall under this category online.
0: What about the gun seller? What about the gun manufacturer? What about 4chan, which is one of the, you know, really sort of dark extremist places? What about other places beyond those that you just named?
5: So, Targeting a lot of these other, the gun manufacturers, the gun suppliers, uh, armor builders, all of these people, this is part of what I would say is a relatively new movement from what is now a number, too many victims of mass shootings, of mass killings. So, for example, I I will say that based on what we've seen, it is an uphill battle, but not a battle that's completely lost every time. After the uh, Sandy Hook shooting, I mean, it took years, but... Some of the families of those that were killed sued Remington gun manufacturers, mm-hmm. the manufacturer there, and they won a settlement over $70 million. They and said while- it
0: couldn't happen, and it happened. They figured it out. Exactly. They figured out a loophole to do it. So
5: people see that, and they go, you know what, maybe we can do that, sadly, in our mass shooting, or in our shooting that affected our community. Also, uh, on top of that, you talk about um, the, the uphill battle of potentially going after uh, some of the parents, for example. Hmm where some look at situations like this and say, what were the parents doing? Because this person is a young person. Uh, In this case, it may not be the one that actually goes forward because by all accounts to this point, it does not seem they were especially negligent Mm -hmm. here. But You know, we let the facts come out. But you contrast that to the shooting that happened in Oxford, Michigan at the high school there where the parents of of that shooter were indicted because they were accused of being negligent about how they handled their weapon. So much so, the suit alleges, that it contributed to the shooting unfolding.
0: Um, So, Vanessa, you've reported on those algorithms. I mean, the algorithms feed you. Feed you stuff. It's yeah. not. This is not just you know the the perpetrator
10: going on in a, a wild goose chase. Yeah, the algorithms are incredibly sticky. Uh, TikTok's actually not mentioned in this suit, I believe, but yeah. TikTok has one of the stickiest algorithms. So if you're looking, I'm just giving an example. If you're looking for. I don't know, a a healthy salad recipe. You know, you're on on TikTok for days, for weeks, for months. You could end up in a pro-anorexia situation where you're looking at that type of content. And to your point, it is these social media companies try, but it is nearly impossible to get all of the bad content off of these social media apps. They're not regulated in a way that would help someone who may already be struggling. And if you have someone who is potentially predisposed to being interested in certain things, you could essentially fall down the social media rabbit hole. And it's, it's inc- it can be incredibly dangerous exactly what happened uh, according to this lawsuit in this situation
6: and that stickiness can happen so quickly too oh, yeah. where you can it's addiction it, it, it is addiction but you can you know search something once mm-hmm. even by accident you can misspell something and your feed very quickly mm-hmm. can give you the next thing the next thing in the same Category,
5: and yeah, we've seen examples of how of how quickly this proliferates across continents, across uh, I mean, across different ends of the world as quickly as possible. I mean, it, there's a through line that you can actually trace explicitly because all of these gunmen mentioned this from 2011. There was a shooting in Norway where over 70 people were killed. It, it, it's, it is an infamous shooting that happened there. But then years later, the New Zealand shooter in Christchurch killed dozens of people there, cited that shooting in particular as part of his inspiration. Then this shooting here in Buffalo cited both the New Zealand and the Norway shootings as inspiration. And he even took something specific from New Zealand and actually live streamed this. And so you, you do, unfortunately, the, the, the power of the Internet allows these what typically would be lone wolves, lone gunmen, to find their packs in places across the globe. And truly just because these stories and these manifestos, whatever they might be, are spread to them and shared to them and even potentially promoted to them uh, on social media platforms.
1: It'll
0: be fascinating to watch this uh, case as it proceeds. Omar, thank you very much. So there's still no deal between President Biden and congressional Republicans to raise the debt ceiling. Are they getting closer to a deal or to default? Vanessa's gonna tell us next. She knows everything. She knows. Oh, she knows. (laughs) The clock is ticking closer to what would be the first debt default in American history. Congressional leaders expect it at the White House tomorrow, one day before the president leaves for the Asia Pacific region. And of course, the clock is still ticking on default. President Biden is optimistic, Speaker McCarthy skeptical the head of this meeting.
1: I remain optimistic because I'm a congenital optimist, but I really think there's a desire on their part as well as ours to reach agreement. I think we'll be able to do
4: it. We haven't made any, we have no agreements on anything. That's why I'm so concerned. Um, Here we are sitting on a Monday. You really have to have this all done by the end of the week. You know how these things go. They go up, they blow up, they come down.
0: Oh my gosh, Vanessa. Just tell us what is going to happen. Is President Biden going to um,
10: postpone his trip? It's up in the air, I think, right now. I think they're proceeding as, as normal. But they are obviously talking about this because defaulting on our debt is, is so disastrous. What would be the stakes for all of us? OK, so start at the top. Let's talk about a potential recession Potentially the market tanking that impacts our 401ks, potentially unemployment spiking. Definitely there will be a pause on Social Security checks, pause on Medicare payments. Veterans benefits will be cut. We don't know if we'll be able to pay our military. Borrowing costs will go up. So student loans, uh, mortgage rates, credit cards. Uh, Zillow put out there that if mortgage rates top 8%, housing costs are going to rise overall by 22%. I mean, these are things that people are going to feel every single day. I mean, the list probably goes on. But here's the real catch. Because we've never defaulted, ever, we don't actually know what the economic impacts will really be. And that's the scariest part about this. We can kind of anticipate what may happen, what will happen, but we really don't know. And that's that can be pretty terrifying for a lot of Americans.
0: Yeah. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is certainly trying to sound the alarm. And, I
10: mean, what more can she say? She keeps sending letters to congressional leaders. Well, this is her second letter in two weeks. And you could say it's a nudge. You could say it's a warning. You could say she's actually getting really nervous. And she's essentially saying, reminder, guys, June 1st, this is the, the day that, you know, allegedly we are not going to be able to pay our bills. Uh, this is what she said in her letter most recently. She said if Congress fails to increase the debt limit, it would cause severe hardship to American families, harm our global leadership leadership position, and raise questions about our ability to defend our national security interests. I mean, those are critical to the United States' standing in the global economy. I mean, national security, this is because we don't know if we can pay our military. And that is going to be that is going to be catastrophic if this happens. And up until now, She's been able to use what's called extraordinary measures, essentially just moving money around to try to stop gap bills right now. But come June 1st, if there is no deal, she's raised the alarm multiple times now. This is her second letter in two weeks. Uh, there's not there's nothing she can do, right? It's up to the president. It's up to Congress to figure this out.
0: How about that split screen? Where you see <laughs> President Biden being optimistic, because as he great. said, he—I mean—he is a natural-born optimist. Yes. He says that a lot. Yes. And then you see Speaker McCarthy, and I don't know if he's just saying that to get people's attention, because if he feels that strongly, and it sounds like he does, if we take it at face value,
8: why are they at an impasse? That is a million-dollar question, right? Okay. A couple things that I think people need to keep in mind. Number one, there's a lot of times that we all talk about, oh, you know up on the hill, Congress is at a loggerheads. This is a real situation. We're really at a point now that is very serious and very different. The, the, the closest thing you can compare it to is 2011. And remember, we ended up raising the debt ceiling before the deadline. But just because we got Close to it. Moody's downgraded Mm -hmm. America's credit rating. And that's just because we got close to it. Not we didn't even go off the cliff. So I think that's important for everyone to remember. Like this is not just our typical standoff on Capitol Hill. Uh, Secondly, we know that at the staff level they've been meeting and they were the the big 4 so all the congressional leadership and president biden were supposed to meet last week they decided to kick that can down the road and let the staff keep going we do know that look the white house and president biden and even senate democrats have been very we will not negotiate we cannot negotiate but the fact of the matter is they're now negotiating and they have to because they've got to get this done. So there's a, a few areas where they are kind of circling around that they think that perhaps they can get some.
0: I have from. a list of what they, yes. what we think is on the yes. table. You correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. We're sending about 60 billion in unspent COVID-19 relief funds. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, who can argue with that? That's mm-hmm. fine. They're unspent. Let's, unspent. okay, yeah. take those back. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to solve this <laughs> tonight, guys. <laughs> okay, I'm going to solve this before this it. show is this over. Is okay. Possible spending cuts. Well, that. Sounds like the devil's in kind the of details. Yeah. A little broad there. <laughs> Budget caps for the next several years. Also broad. B- broad. Um, adding work requirements to social programs. Okay. Yes. Uh,
8: revisiting permitting process. So these the, sound like big sticking points. Yeah. Permitting reform could be one where they could, we, where they could make some progress as well. Kevin McCarthy has said, remember, it takes a minute to get the stuff through the House, to get this stuff through the Senate, just is, is a logistical issue. He said that they need a deal in hand by this week to, to make it to the June 1 deadline. And it's Monday night. They're meeting tomorrow. I mean, that's just not that much time. It's not to say it can't get done, but it's it's asking a lot, and they're still pretty far apart. One more thing I think that's worth remembering is that Kevin McCarthy has a very small margin in the House, four votes. And anything that's going to be a compromise on what they've already passed out of there, uh, which is not anywhere close to what they're ultimately going to get, they're going to have to probably have help from Democrats here. Mm. And that's going to be a whole dance as well. All right.
0: Thank you both very much for explaining that. We'll see where we are tomorrow. Up next on The Lookout, our reporters tell us what stories they are looking out for on the horizon. I'm glad you realized that. We're (laughs) back with our fantastic panel of reporters who tell us what stories they are keeping an eye on. We call it On The Lookout. Okay. Jessica.
8: So tomorrow the Senate is going to vote on this bill that will block a D.C. bill that is about police reform. And you'll remember they did this a couple of months ago on kind of the crime code in D.C. And they ended up uh, they ended up getting it passed. The the GOP was a GOP led effort that passed the Democratic controlled Senate. And then President Biden let it happen. Now he said he's going to veto this one. And so, what I'm watching for is these senators, these Democrats who are up for re election on this issue of crime, which we know Republicans continue to push. What do they do tomorrow? And how does that all play out? Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Omar?
5: Uh, so, this goes back to a discussion we had earlier about proliferation of, of mass shooting motivations. And this goes to the Nashville shooting at the Covenant School, the unfortunate one there. And a judge is now weighing whether to release. Uh, a journal journal writings and a suicide note found inside the car of the shooter and some other documents as well after a complaint was filed by a local resident and the national police Asso- association who say this will help us better understand what happened but of course on the other side of the debate is are you also unintentionally proliferating this and it's in a judge's hands to see if it'll be released.
0: Yeah, that is a tough one. Okay, thank you very much for that. Danny? Uh, different note, I'm excited for uh,
6: commencement season.
5: Uh, today
0: I was in okay. Philadelphia, I was at the University
6: <laughs> of Pennsylvania because President Biden was there celebrating his uh, granddaughter who was graduating. Idina Menzel spoke and I was Ooh. reporting on it and had to listen and she was great and I was like, wow, this. when they're good they're great. Well, what was her spot- takeaway? What did she say? Did she, she sing? She said yeah. she did sing quite a bit and she said that when she first auditioned for her role in wicked her voice cracked and for you young grads it's okay that your voice cracks every once in a for while you but you should still grads, use
5: your voice it's okay if you let it go
6: oh, that's right. oh that's right. nice very good well done, done, done.
5: <laughs> <laughs> should have ended so with that that's
10: that is inspiring that's a yeah. good reporting gig i thought so yeah that's great <laughs> okay go ahead I am looking forward to my first Little League game tomorrow night. Wow. <laughs> I am going in an official capacity as a reporter. Another great there gig. There gig there because there. I am working on a story about umpire shortages in youth sports because of parents behaving badly. Wow. Parents are being so abusive to umpires that they are quitting. One just punched a guy in Florida. There you go. That story Send yeah. me that yes. video. I'll use it in my piece. <laughs> yeah. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I don't want to see any fights break out, but we are going to watch the entire game and talk to the ump who's going to be um, there that evening and see what he has to say. But I've never been to a Little League game. I'm excited oh to gosh. watch these cute little kids, you know, make some magic. Played in some, right?
5: You know, I remember running around, not to the bases. but yeah. Well, I well they're I'm looking, looking for, they're yeah. for umps, guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're
10: looking for umps
0: if you, you know, want to quit your day job. That's a great idea, guys. You should volunteer for the ump shortage.
5: All of us should. You should be behind a home plate, calling balls and strikes.
0: Okay, if I knew the difference, I would. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, that's does it? Thank you very much. Thanks, you guys. Really great to have you here tonight. Okay, tomorrow on CNN This Morning, why you should not use sugar substitutes, the WHO warning people trying to lose weight. That starts at 6 a.m. Eastern right here on CNN. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Our coverage continues now.